we're going to start off by reading the whole chapter, so bear with me. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind. In the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth, Seth lived 807 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived... Ninety years and begot Canaan, and after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived eight hundred and fifteen years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were nine hundred five years, and he died. Canaan lived seventy years, and he begot Mahalael, and he, after he begot Mahalael, Canaan lived eight hundred and forty years, and he had sons and daughters, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahaliel lived 65 years, and he begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahaliel lived 830 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years, and he begot Enoch. And that's what we'll look at today. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years, and he begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, and he had a son. And he called the name of his son Noah. This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 775 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Got a lot of begots there. Verse 1 there of chapter 5, 1a, we have a different type of wording that comes into play that ends the account of Adam. Adam has given us his generations. He's recorded those generations. And after Adam's recording of the generations and creation, which started back in chapter 2, ending in chapter 5, 1A. 
So right in the middle of verse 1a, we have the ending of Adam's account of creation and his generation. And then we have the words of Noah that come forth. And Noah records the events from 1a or 1b through chapter nine, 6, verse 9. And then again, in the middle of a verse, we have a split there. Chapter and verse separations of Scripture came about way after Scripture had already been written, and it was done so that we could find certain passages and relate to one another. The chapter and verse separation is not necessarily divine, okay? We, so we have right in the middle of verse 1, we have Adam in his account, and then we pick up Noah in his account. But Adam's recording, he wrote down information of his genealogy of creation, and it shows us a little bit of Adam's intelligence. Adam, without a doubt, was one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. His DNA was perfect, no flaws. Adam had no limitations in his thinking or in his memory. I can't even remember to take my ginkgo biloba, a vitamin supplement, you know? And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. We have looked, up until chapter 5, at Cain's descendants. And now we switch over and we begin to look at Seth and his descendants. And we need to understand the biblical genealogies that they're not always complete. Many times they will simply skip over one generation or one child or one grandchild. And uh, so we don't have a complete genealogy of all of Adam's descendants or Seth or Cain for that matter. But we have Adam that at the young age of 130 years old, when Seth is born, and then Adam and Eve have other children. And Adam continues to live then to be 930 years old. That's a little more than we live today. Seth is the good seed, the replacement of Abel, who Cain murdered, and he begets or begot Enosh and other sons and daughters. Enosh also lived over 800 years, and he begot many children. But we, we see the age of man slowly starting to diminish, but after the flood, it really drops off significantly. And from Adam to Jesus, we have an uncertain biblical timeline. And it's somewhere between 4,000 years and 10,000 years. You can't really nail it down. I know you've seen timelines. I've seen timelines. But the maximum of time that could have went on from Adam to Jesus is 10,000 years. That's the maximum. A biblical timeline greatly differs from modern-day science's timeline.
they only have our world or this universe being 12 to 13 billion years old. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it hard to believe that God created a mature universe? We know he created Adam fully mature. Adam was not a baby growing up. Adam was a created a mature adult. Now, we know things like the speed of light, or we think we know the speed of light. And there are stars out there that their light has taken millions of years, supposedly, to get to Earth. Or perhaps, just maybe, God created that light already shining on Earth. Is that He created man fully mature. He could create light fully mature, already shining too. And you can call me simplistic, but it's much easier for me to believe God created a mature universe with mature mankind and Adam than to accept some of these prehistoric amoeba type little beings that crawled out of the primordial ooze and was sparked to life by a sun ray hitting a freckle or something. I'm sorry. The sun beats down on that little critter and we call them our ancestors. I don't think so. But there are so many times in scripture, hundreds of times, where God declares he created the world and made all that's in it. And I find that very easy to accept. Evolutionists and science, they're not dumb. They fully understand to recognize God as creator. The next logical step then in that conclusion would be that I owe my creator allegiance. And man does not want to give God allegiance. Thus we have science, and they postulate these ridiculous theories to avoid recognizing that God is creator, and I owe him allegiance. If it's plausible to you that some prehistoric amoeba creature slithered out of the ooze and came to life, so be it. <laughs> but I'm a Bible student. I've studied scripture basically all of my life. And I haven't found any errors. I haven't found any prophecies that did not come true. And I don't find any fault in it. Why would you turn away from what you know is true to accept somebody's idea of a theory? Evolution simply calls God a liar. But as we travel down through the descendants of Adam and Seth, we come to a man called Enoch. And in verse 24, Enoch, the son of Jared, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You think about that? He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Maybe Enoch and God took a walk over to God's throne room, and God said, I think I'll keep you here, Enoch. You can't go home. 
We don't know. <laughs> Enoch did not come back. And he says it was not found. That indicates they looked for him. <laughs> they looked for Enoch and could not find him. But we're going to talk about that, walking with God. That's kind of a Christianese term. It's one of those things that you'll hear Christians say. And it simply means our relationship with God. But it's a little deeper in that if you get into it. Walking with God is a way of saying what God is doing in our lives. We talk about our growth is our walk with God. We talk about our trials. God's taken me through these things. We talk about a maturing process of character, exercising of our faith, and all these things that we talk about will sometimes lump into a term called my walk with God. Unger's Bible Dictionary describes walking with God as a course of action conforming to God's will and acceptable in His sight. Therefore, every human being either walks with God in light or walks in darkness gratifying the lust of the flesh. Romans 8.4 Fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Again, every person lives a life of fellowship with God, walking with God, are walking after their own desires, or as the Bible says, lust of their flesh. And the lust of the flesh is simply any walk that is contrary to God's Spirit. It is not necessarily sexual lust. Our flesh, it can lust after things, it can lust after possessions, not only sexual pleasure. And we have telltale signs of when we're lusting. Do you ever lust? I think I do. <laughs> we lust when we say things, I must buy this item before somebody else buys it. Mm. <laughs> or this is too good of a deal to pass up. You ever like good deals? <laughs> I do. We can also play word games, calling the purchase of something that is simply pleasurable, and we can call it an investment. I think I will invest in a hot tub. Now, if you think a hot tub is a good investment, I have some swamp land in Florida that you see me about afterwards and we'll set you up. But I'm not really preaching against recreation products. We just simply need to be honest with ourselves and call them what they are. They are not an investment. I golf. I've never called buying a golf club an investment, let me tell you. 
it is a pleasure stick. But anyway, walking with God means being in step with God, being in harmony with God, no longer resisting what God desires to do in your life. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, let me read them to you. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is the light. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. Therefore, we walk through life having fellowship with God in light and fellowship with each other. One of the reasons I enjoy coming to church is because of you people. I enjoy being around fellow believers. I do. It's a good thing. I'm a pastor. But anyway. <laughs> but here at Calvary, we try earnestly to promote an atmosphere of fellowship. From the way we decorate this beautiful building, even the warm cream colors on the wall, our friendly greeters out front, even our meet and greet time with snacks and coffee. They're designed for fellowship. Fellowship with one another. Now, our services will always be centered in and around the worship of God. But our meet and greet time is simply an opportunity to have fellowship with one another. We also have meals together. We're going to have one next Sunday after service, a potluck. It's critical for us to have fellowship with God. And if we have fellowship with God, that spills over to with fellow, having fellowship with one another. And we get to express, we need to express the love of Christ to one another. That's a need that we have. And it says, as Christians, we have a great thing in common, the blood of Jesus having cleansed us from our sins. That brings us together. That's what we have in common. We are all forgiven. You've heard me say it before, and I really believe this. More good comes out of our meet and greet time than any of my glorious sermons, and they are glorious. Well, Lori thinks they are, but anyway. Believers walking in fellowship, being with God, has a beautiful side benefit, and it is we have fellowship 
with one another. I think we're a friendly church. I really do. But I have been to churches, Christian churches, where you go in and you sit down, go through the whole service, and you leave, and the most you have said to another believer is, Hi, how are you? That is not fellowship. Now, I know we have a few people here that overdo the fellowship thing. You see me afterwards, and I'll let you know who they are, but you've probably already met them anyway, so hey. (laughs) Moving along. Enoch was 365 years old when God took him. You ever wonder why sometimes God is so slow in giving us the desires of our heart? Because we're asking for good things. We're not asking for selfish things, or we don't think we are. Enoch, it says of him that he walked with God 300 years. Yow, (laughs) that's a lot of years to be in fellowship with God. I find it difficult to be in fellowship or in constant step with God for any considerable amount of time. You know, self just rears its ugly head and off I go. Because my desires are not always pure. They're not always towards God. And uh, I'm not proud of that, but that's just the way I am. But I'll tell you this. I personally believe that I am blessed and that you are blessed As much as God can bless us, we're right there. If life was any better for some of us, pride of life would destroy us. (laughs) When we look at God's blessings, material things should not be the focus of any mature Christian, or they shouldn't be. Let me tell you what blessings are. Grandchildren. All right, it's out there. I'll let you know. It is for Lori and I, though. I get more pleasure, more blessing out of my grandkids than anything that I can think of. Our passage that talks about Enoch suggests that Enoch walked with God And it began at the birth of his son, Methuselah. Enoch walked with God during his everyday domestic life. While he was doing everyday things. Like having children, sons and daughters. Enoch was a father. And as a father, I'm sure he raised up his children in the admonition of the Lord because he's walking with God. Fathers and mothers, we walk with God and our children are watching. I think 
our children sometimes are our most critical observers. A child may go off and do their own thing, but we have a promise in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a beautiful promise. Do you think Enoch had concerns about his children? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do you think he ever said something like, that boy will not listen to anybody? Yeah, probably. But Enoch, he was never detoured. He never got off course. He continued his steadfast walk with God 300 years. Enoch never allowed anything to interfere with his fellowship with God, including his family. Do you have a child that's testing your patience? If you have a child, you do. <laughs> the best thing any of us can do for our children or that child is to be steadfast, is to be constant in our walk with God. They're watching us, parents. They're watching us constantly to see if our relationship with God is real. In the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, we have a farmer, and I like farmers. And this farmer makes a commentary on walking. Amos says, can two walk together unless they agree? Well, they can't. For two to walk together, they have to be in agreement. When something is really troubling me or when I'm really bothered by something, I'll go for a walk and usually pray. In fact, my best times of prayer are usually involved in walking. I'm a walker. I'm a pacer. My best prayer times are out just walking in the pasture, talking with God. Sometimes Lori and I will go down for a walk by the ponds and we'll have conversation with one another. And really it seems like that's the, our best times of communication because all distractions are set aside and we're just there communicating with one another. So we highly suggest you couples go for a walk. Find a park, a trail, you know. Come out to the Ponderosa. That's where I live. And we'll let you go for a walk out by our ponds. <laughs> but let me close with Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was translated so he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The writer of Hebrews 
talks about Enoch. Today, 2,000 years after the cross of Jesus, we cannot please God the Father apart from Jesus. That's just the way God ordained it. No one comes to God the Father apart from God the Son. God has openly proclaimed, you want to walk with me? You want to have fellowship with me? You must be born again. And so we have God putting out requirements for a relationship with him. You must be born again. Now this was strange to a guy named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. A leader of Israel, the teacher of Israel, Jesus told him, you must be born again. That is, you must accept Jesus by faith to cleanse you from your sins, to be in fellowship with God the Father. And when you do that, the Spirit of God comes into a man. And when you accept Jesus and born again, you have God's Spirit in you. The Spirit of God wants to walk and have fellowship with God, and we get to be part of it. Verse 6 of Hebrews 5 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. What a simple verse. You can't become a Christian and be born again unless you believe God is. We've had a couple, three weeks of political party nominations and whatevers. Did you notice the one this week? We had a political party here in the United States made up of a fellow Americans like you and I, and they wanted to pass a resolution to put God back into their political party. Now I want to emphasize that one political party is not moral or more right than another political party. But political parties are made up of people. They booed God. They booed God. What do we need God coming back into our political agenda for? Let me tell you this, our God, like it or not, America, controls the destiny of man, including us Americans. And the question is, and always has been, God has given us a free will. 
And he asks, now what are you going to do with that free will? Are you going to accept my son? Are you going to reject him? It's your choice. The question for us believers becomes, do we walk with God, live a life pleasing to him, or do we walk after the lust of the flesh? To walk with God, that first step means you must be born again. You have no fellowship with the Father apart from the Son, and we must be born again by accepting His Son, Jesus. If you've never made that first step, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, We've got men and women here that will pray with you and assist you in taking that first step that is required to walk with God, and that is having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So don't leave here without him. And if you're already walking with the Lord, I want to encourage you to continue that walk. Don't get disheartened. It took Enoch 300 years of walking with God before he took him. <laughs> and so we're on a beautiful journey, my Christian friends. We really are. We get to have fellowship with the living God, and we don't have to clear it through any political party. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.